0: Okay, so really blessing to you all, and welcome back to my walking talking pulpit. Just before I came out, you may care to know that, I was able to add up the total length of material that I've recorded thus far, and sermons 1 to 12 run to around 6 hours long. And I should just say to those that may be interested, it's a very muggy day. Very close for this time of year it's somewhat on the warmer side so although the Sun isn't out it's somewhat overcast it is somewhat muggy so I think my walk will be more than enough for today and like I said before I'll say it again very quickly that it's not a good thing to do too much of any one thing. If you can get the balance right, exercise, prayer, and scripture. And when those three come together, when those three are balanced out, as a result, you become a great, balanced, and disciplined individual. Of course, I'm speaking to saved people. If you're not saved, you very much like. A flat football, your soul is dead. Your soul is flat. Only when you become saved are you made alive. And as a result, are able to understand the scriptures and have fellowship with the eternal God. But for today, I'm going to speak, if I may, about the subject of fellowship. And this really is a critical subject for those of us which are saved to speak about to understand getting saved is rather straightforward you believe on the lord jesus christ you trust him as your savior and he saves you it's as simple as that it's like a transaction taking uh, place you owe somebody money you can't pay it someone steps forward and offers to pay your debt for you and if you've got any sense you gratefully accept the payment. Of course, for some people, for some self-righteous people, they pass it up. They will try and uh, deal with their debts another way. But the truth is that you can't pay that debt. There's no other way for you to deal with what is outstanding, unless of course you accept payment which has been deposited on your behalf. We call that substitutionary atonement. And that's why Biblical Christianity is superior to all other so-called religions. Every other faith system in the world teaches that if you do your best, you might make it. Or if you don't do this or that, you might make it. Or if you stop doing this and start doing that, you might make it. They don't guarantee it. At best, they hope to make it. And they live in anticipation. Of making it and they live with the reality that they may not make it that's a terrible situation to find yourself in if I was to join a club for example and be told within five minutes that they wouldn't guarantee or couldn't guarantee me entrance although I was a member I couldn't be guaranteed the chance to partake of their particular sport Could be tennis, could be cricket, could be rugby. I think I'd go somewhere else. If I was to join an organisation, which couldn't guarantee me, admission and participation, I would look elsewhere. And the same is true of religion. If you're in a system, whatever it is, and that system can't promise you, can't guarantee you total forgiveness of all of your past, present, and future sins right now, like the moment you become a member of that religion, the moment you sign up to that religion, if they can't promise you that you are forgiven, if they can't guarantee you that all is good, then I would suggest you look elsewhere. I mean, the thoughts of spending 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years going to your Kingdom Hall, for example, or your Steakhouse, for example, or your Mosque, for example, or your Synagogue, for example, or your Catholic Church, or your Protestant Church, for example, and not being guaranteed. Total unconditional pardon of sins, to me, is a waste of time. It's a failure. And for some of you people, you spent most of your life in such a system and you've given a lot of your money. ...to such a system, and yet, what has it done for you? What have you got as a result of being in such a system? What can you say, with your hand in your heart, that you benefited... ...as a result of being a part of that system? What have you got from being a part of that system? That's the question to ask. And I put it to you today, that... ...Biblical Christianity is superior in every possible way to every other so-called faith system to every other so-called theistic system and that's why when you become a Christian it's the hardest thing you'll ever have to do living the life is practically impossible to be a true disciple will cost you almost everything you'll have to walk a very lonely road many say people can't and won't walk it Many saved people have stopped trying to walk it and, as a result, they will criticise you if you attempt to live the Christian life. It's very, very difficult. Only people like Paul came near to achieving it. You don't read much about Peter, post the cross. You get two epistles from him, but there's not much practical stuff. Concerning his walk with the Lord. You get some material from John, like the three epistles and his gospel, of course, and the book of Revelation, of course, but specific material about how to live, how to function. The real practical stuff is missing. It would fall to the Apostle Paul, as the Apostle to the Gentiles, to really lay it out on the table, to really express in great detail how to live the life how to be able to say you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you such a remarkable statement and yet all too often we the redeemed we the body of Christ we the Lord's people fail and we fail miserably well thank God Christ Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith and thank God he died in our place I think any other system, when you weigh it up, wouldn't work for me, and I doubt it would work for you. And yet these other so-called religions are pretty much dominating the world. Most of the world are theist. Most of the world are religious. And yet most of the world are trusting in themselves if the truth be known, to be saved. On top of that, if you are a Catholic, you are trusting in a man to save you. And I don't mean Christ Jesus, i mean a priest you see for the catholic if there's no priest on hand to administer the sacraments you can't go to heaven and if you don't believe me just sit down with a catholic and ask that catholic are they guaranteed everlasting life without that's right without the aid of a priest and they will say no they will say that the priest is their mediator between heaven and earth which goes completely against scripture which robs the Lord, Jesus Christ, of his glory, because he is the one and only mediator. But for them, they are very much in a system, a man-made system, and they are hoping, they can't be sure, so they are hoping that upon death all of their good works will be weighed up and they will escape hell. For most Catholics, if they are honest with themselves, they are probably expecting a stay in purgatory. It was John Paul II who said, uh, before he died, back in 2005, to pray for me. Because I'm expecting to spend some time in purgatory. A slight paraphrase, but he was very much wanting his faithful disciples to pray for him. Because he didn't think he was good enough for heaven, and that much if so. And uh, he didn't think he was bad enough for hell, well that's not correct. Everyone's bad enough for hell, and no one's good enough for heaven. So he thought to himself i will probably go to the third place known as purgatory and he was very keen to have his disciples like i say pray for him when he died and was it last year or the year before last the catholic church made him a saint you can now pray to him so by his own definition and by his church's definition he's gone from being alive to dead to going to purgatory and less than 15 20 years of dying He is now a saint, which, according to Catholicism, puts him in heaven. Of course, we know that only God can make you a saint. No church system can make someone a saint. And therefore, when you pray to anyone outside of the triune God and you get a response, quote-unquote, you are communicating with devils, unclean spirits. And people say, but how can that be, James? I know somebody who got a healing from uh, tuberculosis. I know somebody who got a healing from blindness, or I know somebody who got a healing from being deaf, or this or that. How can it be that a demon or a devil is responsible for their healings? Well, first of all, how do you know that such a person was really sick to begin with? Never mind what you see on television or you read about in the papers. How do you know for sure that such a person was really sick to begin with? Most of those people that you see at these healing crusades that claim to have received a healing are paid actors. They are part of the act. But let's just say, for argument's sake, that somebody goes to a healing event, for example, or they pray to Mother Teresa or John Paul II, for example. And let's just say, for argument's sake, that they receive a healing. What makes you think that healing is from the Lord? Just because somebody claims to have been healed, and even if they were healed... What makes you think that such has come from almighty god over in the book of revelation there is an account in chapter 13 of the false prophet doing miracles and one of his miracles is to not only create an image a statue of some kind but on top of that he's able to bring that object to life and he certainly isn't working for the Lord he gets his power from the devil so you see you've got to be careful when you come across accounts of men and women boys and girls claiming to have received a miracle claiming to have received healing and then turn around and ascribe such an account to Almighty God yes the Lord can heal no one who is saved no one who is a Bible believer would suggest otherwise, but to automatically credit a healing to Almighty God is questionable. For today's dispensation, if you want to be healed of a particular ailment, you pray to the Lord. And you pray to the Lord. And you pray to the Lord. And if necessary, you fast and continue to pray to the Lord. You may be able to go to James chapter 5. But in James chapter 5, the context is speaking about those that are weak, could be physical, could be spiritual, and their weakness could be as a result of their sins. And therefore, when the elders of their fellowship arrive, not their priest, not the pastor, but when the elders, plural, arrive, they can pray over that person. And if it's the Lord's will, that person. Will be healed and yet keep in mind this over in uh, acts of the apostles chapter 12 from memory there's an account where james the son of zebedee is murdered by uh, king herod and not only did the church not replace them they couldn't resurrect him. now did you notice that all this talk about being apostolic and being in the line of peter and an unbroken line, blah, blah, blah. When James was martyred, Acts chapter 12, he wasn't replaced, and he wasn't resurrected. When Paul was almost blind, nobody prayed over him. Nobody helped him out. In fact, when Paul was detained over in uh, Acts 28, referred to as a home arrest, nobody prayed for his uh, freedom. ...when Timothy and Trophimus were sick... ...and it says how Trophimus was sick unto death... ...and how Timothy was uh, experiencing ulcers of some kind... ...which, going back to my first message... ...may have been the result of carnality... ...nobody was sent from Jerusalem... ...or Antioch... ...to pray over those men. Did you notice that? Paul told Timothy in his last epistle to take some wine for his often infirmities he told you from first timothy how almighty god had to heal Trophimus himself the apostles couldn't heal their friends the apostles couldn't heal themselves and the apostles couldn't resurrect one of their own being james the son of zebedee so don't think just because you're saved That it's the Lord's will for you to be healthy all of the time. I don't think if you're not healthy that somehow you are under a curse. That's another foolish uh, view to hold to. When you get saved, on the one hand your sins are forgiven, and yet on the other hand you are still living in this world. You are still in your body, and you are still experiencing a fallen world. For example, foods aren't as good as they once were. In many countries water is hard to come by, in fact there are parts of Europe where if you were to drink of the water from the tap it would be no good for you. You have to get bottled water. There are parts of the Middle East where they are in great desperation for water. So for those of us in the West which have access to water, praise the Lord, and yet think of those that haven't got access. To water at the same time a lot of the foods today are no good a lot of foods today are pretty much uh, worthless and that's why for many people they have to get vitamin supplements because their food is not as strong as it once was it is watered down so don't think just because you're saved you should be healthy and wealthy And if you're not, that something is wrong with you, no. The early church, for the most part, had nothing. In fact, Paul would tell you over in 1 Corinthians that he would pretty much live from hand to mouth. And he said that on more than one occasion he was practically homeless. Like the son of man, back in the Gospels, who had nowhere to lay his head, the same was true of the early church, of the apostles. But for today, what we hear the most about from Christendom, especially on so-called Christian television and Christian radio, is that once you get saved, it's now time to really enjoy life. Your best life is now. That's incorrect. Once you get saved, your best life may be in heaven. Your eternal state has been fixed. There's no doubt about that but for the here and now living on earth going from day to day your problems are just beginning but you see this goes back to what i said some walks ago that most of these people that preach this pernicious gospel this pernicious message are not only living in their own little world have never had jobs but are multi-millionaires living in mansions driving big cars like most politicians do they don't know what it's like to live in the real world i remember speaking to a guy some years ago a professing christian and he put it to me like this he said how is it possible james or why is it possible james that all of these well-known preachers all live such millionaire lifestyles which of course they do And yet not one of those men, or women, lives in a council house, lives on a government property, lives downtown, Skid Row. Why is it that such people not only live in nice areas and drive nice big cars, and on top of that, their churches are in very affluent areas. Why aren't they living downtown? And I said, yep, you're absolutely right. And he was right to say that. And this is one of the problems when you listen to those on television or those who are on multiple radio stations preaching this message name it and claim it and yet they forget to tell you that the lord had no money nowhere to lay his head he died naked on a cross start naked on a roman cross and his apostles his church all but one were terribly harassed persecuted and murdered John the Apostle spent many years in captivity. He was a very old man when he wrote the Book of Revelation. Those guys really went through it. And yet, to listen to some of these TV evangelists and Catholic mystics, you would think that they've got the truth and the Word of God isn't the truth. And that's why it's imperative to check the Scripture, to read it, to believe it, because without that, you've got no idea, absolutely no idea, what is correct what is incorrect what is truth and what is not truth and that's why it was beneficial to the catholic church for centuries to leave their members of their congregation in darkness their laity for the most part couldn't read or write. so that wasn't bad enough the priest would get up and do his mumbo jumbo referred to as a mass in latin which was even more of An obscure language to the average catholic man or woman that went on right up until the 1960s now the mass is in english and yes most catholics can read and write but for centuries they couldn't and that's just what the catholic church wanted keep the members of the laity those nephews in darkness because as long as they are in darkness they are in need of us the priest system because we are their mediator that's right, we are the mediators between heaven and earth. That's a blasphemy. That's heresy. Scripture says, again, how Christ is the one and only mediator between men and God. And that's found over in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. But what you have to understand are a number of things. Number one, when we try and assess uh, problems of organized religion we have to realize that for those in that system and for those that run that system the scripture is almost insignificant unnecessary you see the church is the final authority the pope is really god to the catholics that's a dangerous position to take because you were told over in uh, the book of psalms how the lord has put his word above his name that's amazing he's put his word and i mean the scripture above his name and yet at the same time you are told that at the name of the lord jesus christ every knee would bow every tongue would confess so you've got two things you've got on the one hand the name which gets you and i saved and got me saved 14 years ago being exalted the name of jesus meaning jehovah saves and on the other hand the word of god being put above the name of god that's incredible and until you are born again you'll never understand that or appreciate that and that's why it's so tragic so damning when you come into contact with religious people who profess to know the lord and profess to be a follower of the lord and yet in reality they are following men they are following their church system they are trusting themselves and they're priests the pastors their favorite TV evangelist and that's a dangerous thing and I'll say this and sign out that number one you must be born again you must be born again number two you must become a regular Bible reader not just a Bible believer but a Bible reader without that book you will sink. it's like this you start your salvation You get on board the train, picture of the Ark, and you start off sitting right behind the driver, speaking to him, enjoying the journey. And it's a non-stop journey, destination heaven. And yet, along the way, you pull the emergency cord and you tell the driver you want to get off at a stop, which isn't marked, hasn't been uh, put on his route. And he, on your orders, on your request stops the train and you get off that train and you stand at that uh, station you get up to no good and you lose a few months maybe a few years and you get back on the train and you start off in the second carriage and along the way you think to yourself no i want to get off i want to do things my way this journey is too strict i can't be myself and you pull the emergency cord again And the driver says, you sure? You want to get off? We've got, you know, quite a long journey to go through. And you say, no, I want to get off. And he obliges. And you get off at the second train stop. The second stop. Unannounced, unexpected. And you spend a few more months and years there. Backsliding, doing your own thing. Getting up to no good. And you say to yourself, I've got to get back on the train. This time you're in the third carriage you see within a short period of time you've gone from the first carriage to the third carriage you're working further back down the train you started right behind the driver enjoying your seat enjoying the scenery enjoying the dialogue with the driver now your three carriages back you can't quite see the driver yes you're on the train and yes he will get you to your destination but it's not the same you've lost some of your privileges and after a little while you think to yourself i'm going to get off the train and you pull the emergency cord and you get off and you spend a few more months a few more years doing your own thing feeding the flesh resurrecting the old man and you find yourself very much like the chap over in luke chapter 15 the prodigal son and you say to yourself i can't go on like this anymore this isn't working for me i feel dead inside i can't survive any longer i need the savior to come back and rescue me and you call on him and he comes finding you As you always will do praise the lord once saved always saved or if saved always saved you get back on the train and off you go but this time you're in the fourth carriage you're way back on top of that you're standing you're no longer able to look out the window you're no longer able to enjoy the journey yes you're going to get there don't worry it's down to the uh, driver to get you to heaven not you and even if you were to take control of the train you don't know the way to heaven You haven't been there before. Only the Lord knows the way to heaven and back. And eventually, you get to the destination. But what a journey. That's a picture of backsliding. Every time you come back into fellowship with the Lord, he pardons you, he brings you back in, of course. But you've gone further down the train. You've lost more and more of that experience, that closeness. It's never quite the same. And that's why it's imperative not to listen to men or women. That's why it's imperative to read the Scriptures, to check everything in light of Scripture. And if you do that, and if you stay on the train, if you stay right behind the driver, glued almost to his chair, to his seat, you will never go astray. So, take my words, please, seriously. Think what I've said today. If you're not saved, you can get saved, you can get saved in 3 seconds, 4 seconds, 5 seconds, never mind what the Lordship Salvation crew say, they have no idea what they're talking about, and for some of those people, I wouldn't be surprised if they're not saved themselves, very religious, very pious, and yet very much like the Pharisees. You can get saved just by believing, just by trusting the Lord. Look at the thief on the cross, he just believed on him, and he was saved right there, right then. Once you do that, if you do that, get hold of a King James Bible 1611, read it, obey it, and start living for the Lord. Start putting the old man down. And I guarantee you, when people come along and try and talk you out of your salvation, you'll be able to deal with such people and if you come into contact with those that think they can do miracles, like feed thousands of people, walk on the water, resurrect the dead you know that you're dealing with fakers, liars, deceived and deceived themselves. That's right, they are deceivers and deceived themselves, which is an awful thing to think about. It's bad enough to be a deceiver. It's even worse to be deceived yourself, and as a result, be a deceiver. But you get the idea, I'm sure. So I'm going to sign out. wish you every blessing, every happiness and joy, and may the Lord Jesus Christ bless you all. In his name, amen and amen.